This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. So we have a hot take pod for you today. Uh, it is going to be about like the conversation surrounding how long shows should be on, why they're getting canceled, and whether there's a a disconnect between shows that how long a show should be running for and how long a writer would prefer the show to be on for. But first, we do have some casting news we have to cover because there um, was an announcement that Lex Luthor will be in season three of Superman and Lois and he'll be played by Michael Cudlich. Um, According to the description, it's the Lex Luthor Luthor we kind of already know. He's a visionary billionaire behind LexCorp. Uh, He's secretly part of the criminal underworld and he's known as a brutal psychopath who terrorizes anyone he crosses path with. Um, And his part in season three is him deciding that he's going to go after Superman and Lois Lane because he believes they have wronged him. I love this casting. Can I just lead with that? Um, I know there's going to be a lot of conversation about what, which Lex is this? Why is there another Lex? Whatever. But I was a big fan of Michael in The Walking Dead. Um, he is in the second Walking Dead cast member to join Superman in season three because we have Chad L. Coleman as uh, the villain of the piece as well. So it'll be interesting to see how these Walking Dead villains play into the season. But um, Michael's a fantastic actor. I loved him as Abraham on The Walking Dead. And I think he is a outside the box but brilliant choice for Lex Luthor because we're going to have quite a physically imposing Lex Luthor and Lex Luthor is usually all about the brains of the operation so I think this is something excitingly different. I have no opinions on on the Lex Luthor casting (laughs) only like uh, I wasn't really I can't say I was a fan of John Cryer's version of the character um, and that might just have to do with how he was depicted in the crossover event because I was not watching Supergirl at the time that he was doing his role so I kind of sat him to the side I know people did enjoy him and they wanted him to be the Lex Luthor moving forward in the Arrowverse but technically Superman and Lois isn't in the Arrowverse um, so it makes sense to have a new Lex Luthor since they are in a are we calling it another Earth, an adjacent Earth? It's the one description that um, Papa Lane gave was like a throwaway and we never returned to it. So I, just, <laughs> um, so I have, still have a little bit of confusion on what they want us to believe when it comes to how Superman and Lois fits into the Arrowverse without actually being in the Arrowverse. Mm. You know, the idea of the multiverse is kind of like one of those like convenient things you can use to explain away awkward conversations like that as in why a show is set in a different universe and doesn't follow the canon of the previous shows. And of course, it's going to bring up other conversations because like, why does every version of Floral Lance look like Katie Cassidy and yet every version of Lex Luthor doesn't look like John Cryer? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. going, it, 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 we, we know these characters can be different versions of themselves, but why are there suddenly different actors playing them other than the fact that their recasts or whatever but now we have a superman lois and lucy that look like the supergirl versions but the lex luther doesn't so i mean like the multiverse itself is um is it even a concept anyway it's a very vague thing you can use to explain things like this away but i was a fan of the john cryer version and i i heard the rumors beforehand that we may be getting a new lex luther so i did have time to adjust to that so when as soon as i seen the casting i was just thrilled about the casting i know there's another conversation to be had there about whether 
it's too soon for another Lex or whatever. But I mean, like you have Titans, which is set in a completely different universe, just to introduce their own Lex Luthor. So um, this is practically the same as that. It's just with Superman at Lois's connections to the Arrowverse that aren't really connections anymore. It spawns that kind of conversation. Why do we have two Lexes? Should there be another Lex? I mean, like, there's no right answer to that. I love John Cryer's version and I'm sad we won't see him back. But at the same time, I'm very excited to see what this new Lex is like. I have a question, Michael. Sure. So, um, obviously, my knowledge of Superman is just Smallville. <laughs> and that's the only reason I know who Lex Luthor is. But in that story, Lex plays a really big part of Clark's, I guess, coming of age. And in this story, it just kind of threw me because I was like, oh, I kind of just assumed that Lex played a part in like Superman and Clark's early days. So has he not existed in the Superman and Lois um, timeline, universe, anything? Is this like, is he like brand new, I guess is my question. The idea of Lex Luthor is not new. I think in season one, uh, Lois mentioned everything we know about Luthor and the multiverse. Because re you remember when, um, why is his name escaping me? Uh, John Henry Irons from the other earth turned up and he was originally called Captain Luthor and everyone was like, is this another version of Lex Luthor? So they knew who Lex Luthor was, they knew him by reputation. At the time, we all thought that was a reference to Supergirl's Lex Luthor, but now we know they're all in different universes or whatever. So yes, but Lex they've never met him. Apparently not, but then okay. again, maybe they do. Maybe they have. Maybe there's history there. It's a, he sounds like one of those villains that like they know the real story, but the public doesn't know the real story. And it sounds like Superman well, season three will probably be about bringing the villainous Lex Luthor into the light so that everyone can see what he's like. I am just very intrigued since Superman and Lex are such notorious arch enemies. Will Superman at Lois delve into that? Because it's very much told its own thing up until this point, and that's why it worked. So I can't wait to see how they adapt this like iconic comic book rivalry to the screen. I love how, like, in the DCEU, there's a ton of Batman, but in DC TV, there's a ton of Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> DC TV is doing its own thing. And it's sad to talk about now since we just learned the Titans is ending and they just introduced their own Lex Luthor. DC oh, TV. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Everybody, yeah. gets Lex. Everybody gets a Lex. <laughs> so yeah, DC TV is definitely on its way out. So like we've gone from having three Lexes on DC TV to this new one being the only one now. So I'm excited. I'm like, I, I keep going over it. I'm very excited about the casting more than anything else. And I can't wait to see what Superman at Lois does with such an iconic villain. Um, yeah, I have no criticism I, I, other than the Arrowverse awkwardness of the fact that we've another Lex. I cannot wait to see what he does with the role. This is a good segue, though, to like talk about because Superman and Lois is on the bubble because every CW show is on the bubble. And there's been a lot of talk and people, of course, are understandably like, hush, hush your mouse. OK, it's not going to go away. And then no one really knows what Superman and Lois' future is going to be, even if it performs well. There's a whole uh, change of regime, regime at DC Studios. They want to get things in line. You can have TV shows that aren't in that universe. But they're probably going to be far and few between. So like in this case, if we're talking about why shows get canceled on TV or on streaming, like one of the elements of the conversation is pivoting, network pivoting, streamer pivoting, like with Superman and Lois, if it does get canceled and potentially move to HBO Max or just the, the plug gets pulled, it would have nothing to do with the show's performance. And that is a reality that um, people are dealing with more and more lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like this year has completely changed the game. Um, 
last year um everything we've been through the the, the, the shows we've lost and everything streaming kind of changed the game in the first place and there were different questions about what television means what what kind of uh, online shows mean back when it was called web television but this past year has changed everything because you always considered streaming television on a different kind of like basis of the rest of them you thought they had longer lifespan because less episodes quicker burst disappear for a while and come back but with dc and warner brothers kind of cancelling anything for multiple different reasons things that hadn't been produced yet things that were successful things that weren't successful obviously that was in there as well you you just don't know what the television landscape looks like going forward i i, I cannot stress enough that it's always an ever-changing landscape but this year alone this last and i say this last year i mean from this time last year through to this year with everything that happened at the cw everything happened in hbo max with warner brothers in general television's a whole different ballgame than it used to be I think we thought that streaming was this like uh, a peaceful haven where we can get the kind of shows that we've always dreamed of all the big stars and things get renewed and we can count on it. And then in the past year, it's like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> we fell from cloud nine and we're wide awake to quote my queen, Katy Perry. It, it's it, we need to talk about the state of modern American television. You know? It is not. It, and from my vantage point, it's like network is kind of in a better place than streaming right, right now because mm -hmm. streaming is it, it's, it's they're playing hot potato with the, being on fire. And it's quite frankly, embarrassing to watch. <laughs> because I think with network, I mean, with the having been around for so long and streaming basically being the infant in the game, they grew far too fast. Um, and, and they're just like, yeah, we're like the, the new kid on the block. We're making waves, we're winning awards, we're eclipsing network television. And it did have network um, studios like in a tizzy, like what are we gonna do? Are we sunsetting broadcasts? What's happening? And you can, you can still feel that conversation. That conversation is definitely still happening. But it is, I do wonder how like the studios or the network studios are looking at like the streaming ones are like, y'all okay over there? good because <laughs> it looks like the house is on fire and you have no water to put it out there was like in the past couple of years there's been this marriage between i think broadcast and streaming because every promo now it's like watch at whatever time on whatever network and then they're always like oh yeah and you can stream on mm -hmm. whatever streaming service like that's part of promotion now and it feels like there's this kind of marriage whereas um like you said streaming just grows to they flew to they've flown way too close to the sun like they're practically touching it um and it's interesting to think that you, it was just like 10 years ago that netflix premiered its first original series 10 years that's like not a long time mm -hmm. um and now instead of just like a couple cute shows every uh year we have like a million new shows every month and then they cancel stuff. And it's just because of the quantity, I think that we're all like, why is everything getting canceled? And it's like, because we don't have time to watch it. Like nobody has time to like binge 10 hours of content every week in time for Netflix to renew things. And well, I, I didn't mean to just single out um, Netflix, but <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> but like then everybody like got, they saw that model and how streaming can work because of Netflix. And then we have HBO Max spending far too much money to keep up with Netflix and now everything's getting canceled and removed and it doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good as a consumer. It's like, oh, this new show, it looks fun. And then you don't, you, you, there's no guarantee that it's even going to make it to another mm -hmm. season or even stay on the freaking platform. Like, mm -hmm. what is that about? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I okay. Just a disclaimer. Yeah. I don't think we're gonna come to any conclusions. We're just posing questions and discussing. So, like, yeah. just to the listener, complain with us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but to use your Netflix is the perfect example because you didn't single it out there. I mean, like, it's where it all started. And uh, when you think about it. Network television has been around for decades and it produced lots of hits at a time when less people were watching TV because everyone was like, oh, what's this newfangled gadget of television? But you had uber successful sitcoms like Bewitched back in the day. You had the old Batman series, which apparently now wasn't as successful as at the time as people thought it was. But like things stuck around for longer back then because there was less. Netflix burst onto the scene with some huge hits. Now everybody wants a Stranger Things. Everybody wants a, uh, what other Netflix hits are there? Why do I blank times? Like the 13 Reasons Why at the time it blew up. Everybody wants shows that generate conversation. Everybody wants shows that get millions and millions and millions of viewers and or subscribers. And there is, first of all, there's far too much for that. And second of all, there was never that kind of pressure on network TV at the beginning to succeed. And to your point, they just want that immediate success because how do you mm -hmm. measure success success to me is that we're still talking about friends almost 30 years later we're still talking about some shows from network television 30 years later it's not just flash in the pan stuff like are we i think we've mentioned something like this before in the podcast but like are we going to be talking about 13 reasons why 25 years from now i don't think so that was just like a four-year thing mm -hmm. obviously we are still talking about it now but like not the same <laughs> not in the same way that like not years. in the same way that like Gilmore Girls, I think we'll still be talking about Riverdale. And that's a broadcast show that had a success on streaming. I think it's just completely different. And it, they, streaming completely shifted the way we think about television. Well, because it's just too much content. Um, yeah. they, so every day someone is talking about some new show that is just the best thing on whatever streaming platform. And then when you add in international titles as well, so like you have the US-based um, shows and then you have international titles, some of them even in a, um, a different language. So I was like, oh yeah, this new K-drama. is like, girl, I'm trying to get through four other shows that premiered. <laughs> 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 like, um, maybe even a few months ago, it's just there's an abundance of content. And I think for creatives at the time before this bubble is about to pop, that was the way to get your foot in the door. And like, because you knew, like, I can try these adventurous things, I can do different run times, I can be outlandish, I can be real slow in the first half of the season and then blow your mind in the second half because the streamers weren't giving notes in the way that network television has to give notes. They're like, no, you can't have a, um, your first three episodes be slow. What are you talking about? <laughs> like we have to get ratings, but like you put a show like that on streaming and some people are like, yeah, I mean, I'll give it four episodes if I get to binge it. Um, mm -hmm. And then if the back half is really great, then sure, um, I, I'm highly invested. But that can bite them too, because now they're looking at completion rates. So if you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I'll watch half the season and then it gets canceled. You're like, oh, I was going to watch that. And then it's like, well, we should have, you should have watched it, but you can't force anybody to watch it just to save mm -hmm. a show. It's just not fair. Like there's no, there's no winners in modern television. <laughs> yeah. And not, looking at it, streaming kind of does apply similar techniques that network TV did, because at the end of the day, they expect, even though the whole idea of the binge watching era is that you can watch it whenever you want, they still expect you to have watched it within a certain window of time, just the same way that network TV expects you to watch it on the night, because if those on the night viewers were not up to scratch, that show was getting cancelled, even if like, 
it's DVR bump or whatever was huge. I know that saved shows in the past, but generally uh, the, the importance was on the night viewing figures. And with Netflix, it seems to be the viewing figures within that first month, regardless if it turns into a cult classic that gets so many figures throughout, throughout the rest of its existence on the streamer. So it just, it's funny how the old way is starting to influence the new way. And it's like streaming, for example, is kind of struggling now when nothing's bouncing back in this era. There's far too much content, but Netflix and other streamers are kind of expecting immediate hits, whereas because network through because everyone has accepted that network TV will never be what it was, there's a little bit more leeway now. Shows are getting renewed with four and five million, whereas decades ago they were expected to get 20 million. And times have changed and people have brought more, more, more open-minded. But I think we're going to get hopefully going to get to a stage where streaming services are like that as well, and not just expecting immediate hits on on the night doesn't make sense but within the first month or two months because unless you're one of those big marvel star wars properties or stranger things which is are very much the exception to the rule that's probably not going to happen i think personally i believe the streamer the two streamers who seem to have it in the bag and it's because of the uh their catalog so paramount plus doesn't put out a lot of originals compared to the other streamers. Puts out some, some of them get buzzed, some of them do not, uh, but they're CBS. <laughs> so they will do like, you can just go on their streamer and watch hours upon hours of episodes of CBS's hit shows. And that is how they're existing. Disney's doing the exact same thing. Now they do actually get a lot of buzz, but it's all IP. Like <laughs> rarely. <laughs> it really is. It's like 95% IP. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, it's rarely are they putting out anything that doesn't have some connection to a franchise that has been going on for years. So I feel like those two are like sitting pretty. Netflix is drowning. HBO Max is drowning. Hulu's like, I never claimed to be anything but what I am. So they put out an original. <laughs> yeah, Hulu's like, don't lie. Mind your business. Don't lie to me. <laughs> like they have the TV contracts and that's good with them. They have occasional And they have originals. the... the- Disney, Disney is their grandma. <laughs> exactly. So they're like, they're set um, and they're going to stay set. And then Peacock, what Peacock? I feel like people don't talk. They have NBC because um, the, the licensing changed. So everything's going there now. So perhaps they'll end up kind of being like Paramount Plus. But I feel like Peacock doesn't get um, a lot of recognition. Not to say that I'm going to give it any because I do not use the platform, but it doesn't get a lot of recognition for the content that, that it does do. I don't know anything that's popped off of Peacock. Yeah, I think their originals are kind of, they're promoting the hell out of Poker Face, mm-hmm. which I think I'm going to watch. Um, I am a Peacock subscriber because I had it free for like a year for a really good price. And then I just came to really like it. They have a really good library of content and I'm, I love an NBC show. So they're like all there. And it has a bunch of other stuff that it, it just doesn't get talked about enough. I think Peacock is a dark horse. Ooh, okay. I think she's just going to mind her business for as long as she can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then there's Prime Video. I feel like I always think mm. about Prime Video, but I think it's just, it's Amazon. So like, they're going to be fine. Um, They do have original series that I've hit. I know there's Jack Ryan. Outer Range, I think was a grower. It's a strange show and I never did finish it. Um, But that has a second season. Um. Oh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel that got mm-hmm. awards. Yeah, sure did. So, so, like, yeah, Prime Video's out here. She's fine. Yeah, we yeah <laughs> we it also has the boys and uh, Invincible. I know their IP or whatever, but the fact is, people are talking about Amazon and Prime Video at times when people need to be talking about it, and I feel like 
it's been kind of there the whole time doing its own thing, succeeding when people have been having bigger conversations about maybe the more famous streamers. But I think maybe that's how you play the long game. It succeeds mm-hmm. like that if you're, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, they're doing its thing below the surface when Netflix is burning down. Love you, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I've struggled with in this era of mess is shows get canceled right and then immediately we see the fans on twitter hashtagging maybe they buy a billboard they try and to save these shows and it's made me wonder like and i again i i see both sides of this i have no conclusions only questions do the shows like does every show need does does every cancellation warrant a show coming back to finish its story because that was not something like if you look back that's not something that happened in network tv like shows just ended shows could have been on for a decade like i think that show married with children on for 11 seasons they didn't have a series finale because they didn't know they were going to end and it just <laughs> a show that was on for 10 years just ended um so i'm i'm just like thinking i'm like what as much as we as viewers want to see a complete story um does it need to happen what do you guys think i think it depends on the series as far as like the campaigns that fans do they did exist in the past but i remember every time it it, it would have to hit the news right because uh, they did something mm-hmm. outlandish sent something to wb um, they sent it, marshmallows to the cw to save veronica mars they sent like <laughs> subway sandwiches to save chuck like those were the fun times i think <laughs> yeah and so now it's like everybody is like a hashtag activist when it comes to um, trying to save their show and push for it and trying to do real world uh, things as well to get attention. And it's just not, it's not moving these studios or these um, or these streamers. And it, yeah. mainly it's because the conversations, they're like, we canceled it for money reasons. Like we said, there was no money in the pot. There was no money in the pot. No, we don't have money for a movie. Um, so I think sometimes as a fan, you have to gauge where the potential is of getting picked up. And I don't think that's always happening. I think people get that news that a show is canceled and immediately we're coming up with a hashtag mm-hmm. um, without like looking into why the show had had been canceled or if it had even been canceled, if it just, they were just like, no, we were done. We, we were always gonna be done. Um, mm-hmm. Because people want, I think we live in a entertainment culture now where people want to immerse themselves in a show for as long as they possibly can. And if they they think about shows, they're like, oh, well, like Law and Order has been on for like 20 seasons, 22 seasons or something. I don't remember how many seasons. It's a lot of seasons. Um, And it's like, yeah, but those are procedurals. Like you're talking about your cute little supernatural drama, like a good five seasons, potentially even four is fine. Everything doesn't need a conclusion. I think it needs a conclusion if the cliffhanger, not if it's not personally satisfying, that's different. If the cliffhanger, like this story can't, complete itself in a way that makes sense I understand why a need to like at least get a wrap-up movie mm-hmm. other than that it's like it ended fine sometimes stories like just like with books right sometimes a series comes to an end and you didn't like the ending and um you're not getting additional book from the author it's done yeah and it just feels like these are the risks of episodic storytelling we're not guaranteed anything so it can end and it sucks and we may not like it. We might not like how the show ends, but in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if it, we need to be doing all this for every show. It's, Mm -hmm. it gets to be a lot. 
Mm -hmm. I'll just say that when you see people underneath every Netflix tweet and they're like, they have the laundry list of shows. They're like, we want more seasons. And it's like, those are all single season shows. They're not, it's like the writing's on the wall, Mm -hmm. not to be pessimistic, but. No, no, you're 100% right. And I feel like this whole last year with the whole CW drama definitely intensified that because these small shows were getting the plug pulled on them. And yeah, logistically or whatever, that should not have happened by all rights. Every show deserves a chance to buy that. But they were all getting the plugs pulled from them. And you just, you know, know there's no chance of those shows because they're so small in the grand scheme of things. They weren't moving the needle on their own home network, let alone any other networks. Of course, there were three, like, two or three exceptions like the DC shows and Dynasty and Riverdale with its Netflix connection or whatever. They stood chances, but it just it wasn't going to happen just with all the awkwardness and how old those shows were at that point. But there were other shows, unfortunately, that they, if the creative team were able to wrap up a quick season finale as a series finale, like that's relatively satisfactory. Of course, it's objective whether you liked it or not. You know what I mean? That, that, that's the same with every show. But I just feel like in this era, first of all, the hashtag safe movements have become such a regular thing it's going to happen all the time regardless but on the other hand not every show needs saving like I personally obviously feel like of all the ones that were cancelled that the obviously Legends of Tomorrow deserved a better ending than the one it got and I also think it stands the best chance because of the fact that it's of the IP it's linked to and the fact you could have a wrap-up on a crossover or something so I do, I understand that. And I feel like that's a really logical um, desire to want that one to get wrapped up. But on the other hand, I do feel like, remember back in the day when shows would just run for like nine seasons and then you'd have a nice season ender that wasn't set up as to be the final episode or anything, but everything yeah. was wrapped up for that season and that was that. I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a few more of them. Technically, that's what we got in Batwoman and I'm all uber satisfied with that ending technically that's what Stargirl did do although it had a bit more of a series finale flair to it but in this day and age I wouldn't mind seeing a few more season finales that actually work as series finales because yes a cliffhanger is a serve unless you're Legends of Tomorrow um so it just everything's different and it is it's all subjective it's all what you want to see and at the end of the day this this year's spotlighted that more than ever but I feel like it's a greater conversation to be having. Again, I feel like we're, we're not going to reach a conclusion by having yeah. <laughs> that with so many questions and so little answers. I think it's also such an unfair time to create too, because you don't know if your show is going to, you put your hard work into it and they don't air it or mm-hmm. it gets canceled or they ask you, or you feel the need, like um, the, Goss- the new Gossip Girl showrunner, Josh Safran, he was saying that even the first season finale, he kind of, tried to wrap things up and just plant seeds and I'm like that's such a like I would have wanted like a massive cliffhanger in season one um not, not to have your storytelling sanitized because you're like I, this could be it like how horrible has it gotten where 10 seasons is a series like we just it I don't know it it boggles the mind when you come of age in an era where there are 22 episode seasons even 30 episode seasons if you're Beverly Hills 902 and oh they did I want to say like at least eight seasons with 32 episodes each. That's unheard of now. Just Mm -hmm. like that's 32 episodes is a complete series these days for some shows. Um, But it just sucks to hear that they're kind of like creating with the intention of like, well, this could be it. And they're holding back. Like I want to see the full potential of these um, creative people, but it's such a horrible time to create anything that they're they're scared and I get it. 
Um, but I, as a viewer, I would be like, you know, let it rip. I want to see what you got. <laughs> I don't care if you get canceled and there's a cliffhanger, I'll deal with it in my own way. But like, it just sucks to hear these creators talking about what it's like now. Like who's going to make deals with some of these networks and stream, well, streamers mostly in these studios when nothing is certain, nothing is given. It's so like wishy-washy. I think that's going to be difficult. And I know there's a conversation around um, putting language into contracts to ensure that you'll be able to complete shows or that you'll, you'll be there. If you had talked about, we were going to do this amount of episodes, we actually do this amount of episodes and they're on the platform and they release when they're supposed to and it doesn't get shelved um, because mm -hmm. they are for tax write-offs and like pivoting reasons. We're shelving projects that should have been released in some capacity to the point where some of them aren't even going to be showed in that like, like, oh, well, you got paid. It's like, well, it's not just that though, they're artists. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like, oh, the check cleared and it doesn't matter that my story um, that I had worked on that the team worked on for years isn't actually going to air or stream or anything. But on the flip side of that, as far as the other side of the conversation in terms of the writing, I do, do think that, okay, you got 10 episodes and you're not sure about um, if you're going to get another season. Why is the first season of something so slow? I was like, is it oh, yeah. <laughs> like, where it's like, you, like, we couldn't be bold because we were scared that we wouldn't get a renewal. I was like, okay, but if you know that you, this is your one chance on the stage before the hook grabs you, go all out. YOLO, baby. YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> Stop pl don't plant those seeds at the end. Plant the seeds in the beginning and watch them bloom and then plant some new ones maybe i don't know i'm just like it's it's stressful to like watch mm -hmm. these creators like struggle and like not know what to do because as a viewer you're like oh i can see where they would have like done a little bit more but their the fate is in hands way beyond their control and even fans like i don't know how big of a part we play all we can do is watch mm -hmm. i don't think any amount of tweets does anything unfortunately mm -hmm. but even watching can't be enough because then there's money and it's like well that's not my problem that's a you problem why did you order the show <laughs> if you can't afford it i don't know <laughs> i think as far as the pacing goes that's another issue of streaming television because all these like big cinematic shows when they debuted people would afford to stick around for a lot of the first seasons of those like and cable television does it as well first seasons are kind of slow as they're building everyone says isn't it the first season of game of thrones i think it's quite marginally slower compared to the rest of the show because they expect people to get invested but that's not going to work with every show if you create a teen drama you can't be moving as slow as the first season of game of thrones does because you don't have the dragons or whatever to keep people enthralled on it so i think it all it definitely lends itself to the genre which we're dealing with but at the same time you just you have to know what kind of show you're making what platform is it on and what kind of audience are you trying to appeal to and again i just think that's down to quantity and because there's so many shows out there there is such this is this has grown exponentially in the last decade and maybe what worked a decade ago won't work now maybe what works for one show won't work for this one so again it's just the landscape is so much different and when there is such a quality of or a quantity of everything how do you take all the boxes and ensure that your show will carry on it's such a okay. hard time you know what yeah. I mean? You think and beyond, more is a good thing. Beyond narrative pacing, it's the pacing of the rollouts. Mm -hmm. For streaming, these shows exist for maybe three months if they're uh, dropped all at once. Or even then, they don't last as long if they're weekly releases. It feels like they last longer, but then they're out of sight, out of mind, especially with the binge model where it's like they release a trailer maybe a month before 
and then it it's a hit maybe when it's uh first comes out and then once it runs its course it's gone until it's renewed or canceled and then even then you're waiting a year for it to premiere whereas like network tv for all its faults like we know we have a pattern like they return in the fall they end in the spring production starts end of summer like we have that model where they're always in the forefront of our mind whereas streaming we're waiting a year and a half maybe two years for these shows without updates without them being we're like what happened to this why is this taking so long like we i mean we know why it's taking long but just to the the average consumer it doesn't make sense and i completely understand because it's like these shows are hits but like for a month out of the year <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then they're gone and then we have to wait and like does anybody care by the time the show premieres a year plus later it, none of it's it, good none of it's good no because if you're talking about the ones in which it takes like a year and a half to two years I'm sorry but I don't remember what happened in this in the first the season that came before it like I might I don't have the, the time end. to rewatch. yeah 10 hours <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's another issue with everyone expecting Stranger Things level television because when you release something like that of course the world will talk about it for the two years but like it, that's exactly what happened between seasons three and four people were waiting and it the way it paid off in the end because look how successful season four was but that right there is an issue with streaming television because they want that kind of like feedback or that kind of excitement for every show and if you release like uh uh, a lower budget uh, kind of like soap that only gets gets like a, a small kind of buzz while it's around. People are not going to be excited two years later when that show finally returns. You know what I mean? We can't, we don't judge network shows all on the same kind of level based on what they are. But I think there's kind of a misconception that everyone kind of expects just because it's a streaming show, it's they're all going to be the same levels of hits. But like with everything in life, like movies, for example, one thing's going to be a bigger hit than the other. And I don't think the streaming genre lends itself nicely to middle of the road hits or lower budget hits or like the kind of like middling shows that everybody likes but isn't as like invested in as the big scale shows there's not a hierarchy there because everybody wants success from the top down to be honest i would rather watch like what would be considered a mediocre show or a mid-tier show or, or um, um middle of the road um show that was adventurous like we mm -hmm. tried different things like it's it's not hitting all the bells, not checking checking all the boxes because um, this is the first time the writer is writing in the genre, so they're not quite they're not the strongest voice they could be. But I'm deeply invested. It's like we need more, like you now there are the B movies. We mm. need B level shows, <laughs> um, and for those shows to be accepted, right? I, one of the things that I've really enjoyed, and this is not a show, it's a movie. Um, and I've talked to you guys about this: is Derby and the Dead. Mm -hmm. That movie is not doing anything you haven't seen before outside of its casting. It is a mid-tier coming of age young adult drama with a supernatural twist. And I loved every single second of it. And I wish there were more movies like that. I wish there were more shows like that that got to like breathe. People were like, oh, well, it's not like, it's not giving us the, I'm not like screaming at the television. It's like, you don't have to scream at the television for everything. Some things mm -hmm. you could just put it on, enjoy. Is it a thing you're going to be crying about later? No, but it might be something that you keep reminding people about because it's just that good. Like it's not like great, but it's good. And I think we need to like streaming needs to lower its standards, at least in mm -hmm. terms of uh, paying attention to the good things rather than everything having to be a Game of Thrones, a House of Dragons, a Euphoria, <laughs> like which those are all HBO. So Stranger Things then. Mm -hmm. 
yeah a lot of things work as being like part of the furniture like the background or whatever that they become part of your lives even if you're not like uh dying to see the next episode in the way that you would with the uh like god level kinds of shows but the streaming uh the, the breakdown doesn't lend itself to that. Everybody wants a hit. Everybody wants immediate overnight success. So there is no room for mid-tier shows. There's no room for, oh, I just put that on in the background and watched it. And at the, at the end of the day, that's why television was such a success because people had it on in the background while they were watching it. So it's just, it's such a shame that the thing that changed television can't really figure out how to change itself to match the needs of television. And I hope it does because streaming is an amazing thing but it isn't I don't think it's taking over in the way people wanted it to because at the end of the day you flick on tv something's on in the background you enjoy it that's how you watch it I just don't think streaming lends itself to that kind of uh, behavior we created this monster we did <laughs> we all cut the cord here we are we could talk about this for hours <laughs> we could one more comment though and then we'll move on to what we're watching I think the gen z's might fix it um, because your right only now, hope, Gen Z, <laughs> make, make good choices. <laughs> yeah, oh, because I don't know if they care about twenty-two episode seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like they might enjoy them, but I don't think for millennials, like that's how we know television, and that's how a lot of millennial writers know how to write. Even if they're not doing a twenty-two episode season, they're writing twenty-two episodes ahead. So that's like, oh, well, this will be in season two. It's like, well, you don't know if you're getting a season two. Why are we concerned about episode eighteen? when we had to finish season one, if you have a 10 episode season. Mm-hmm. But um, Gen Z might be like, uh, you know, they give me four episodes, they're an hour each. Let's make this little cute sh- um, short story, like as an experiment. And then we'll do the big 15 episode limited series later. Mm. Do they do 22 episodes anymore? Like would it work anymore? I don't know. I feel like ever since the pandemic, it's been lowered to 18. I'm sure some of the big procedurals still have it, but outside of those mm-hmm. procedurals, kind of, it's I feel dynasty. In oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, How I Met Your Father is on streaming, but it's got 20 episodes this year. Yeah, that's surprising to me. It doesn't seem like they're going to break them up either. Mm-mm. Maybe they will. Who knows? Well, again, who is doing her own thing? Perhaps they're experimenting over at Hulu to see what they're doing weekly. <laughs> uh, but moving on to uh, what we're watching, we have to talk about the Winchester's mid-season premiere, which kind of just felt like a middle-of-the-road episode for it to be the episode we were it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm excited. I was excited to see Tom Welling and I still am. I enjoy that an awful lot. Um, but yeah, character's kind of awful, right? Yes. They have good um, father-daughter chemistry, mm-hmm. I will say, Tom and Meg. Um, but yeah, he was kind of like selfish and I don't know. Well, it was fun to... seeing Tom, I will mm-hmm. say. It was. He gave Grizzly gruff father who like doesn't want to listen to anybody and then Meg did wonderfully as like the daughter who's sick of him who needs him to pay attention to the fact that he's deteriorating on the couch right now so if you mm-hmm. would just drink your tea like I told you to <laughs> <laughs> the, the, there was a moment that was so I think unintentionally funny but it was funny to me when he was like I think I know where to find the queen and then does he pass out or fall asleep what happens there he stops yeah. talking. Yes, that's right. Yeah. He does. And he then does. they cuts to the next scene and Mary's telling Carlos and Lata. And he's like, I, my dad knows where to find the queen. And they were like, well, does he say where he was? And she was like, no. 
<laughs> she was like, you fell asleep. And I was like, <laughs> what was this about? <laughs> that went nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like he definitely changed up the dynamic, but he also lived up to his reputation because we kind of learned over the run of the show that he made Mary into the person that she is, the um, the badass hunter who kind of rushes headfirst into danger. And I do, I love the fact that we pivoted in the end, and that that's the reason he cut her out because he seen that he seen what he was turning her into, and he didn't want that life for. Because you but learn like, that, be honest about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm so sick of these characters that are like, I did this to protect you. And it's like, well, then like tell her <laughs> this girl was like running around looking for you. <laughs> and he was still he had those walls and he had those shields up right throughout the whole episode he was kind of mean to john he was kind of but mean john to, bit right back yeah yeah i was oh, like yeah. oh john what did you just do <laughs> <laughs> i love the fact that like, i think it's because his reputation precedes him nobody was having any of his rubbish whenever he tried to put those walls up they bit right back same with millie i can i just say i love the fact that millie stood up to him pretty quickly i think that impressed him and um, because he's not he's not used to being talked back to and basically everyone in that house was talking back to him and he was like what so that was nice to say yeah he didn't know his place you're the new one here guy (laughs) sit down (laughs) but i couldn't tell if like if i liked john like defending mary to him or if i was like dude you just met him like that's a little disrespectful Mm -hmm. but i think i liked it i liked it yeah i think i liked that we see that he's he really cares about mary well i think it's also Mm -hmm. so this might be one of those things where because we know where john and mary end up the story is writing in that way because what he did it was very much i'm the person in her life um she's talked to me about this situation before and i don't like the way that you just talked to her so let me say this as politely as i can say it but also treat her better which is something you typically see from somebody's partner and at at that time they weren't together but the show knows they're going to be together so we're just going to do it prematurely Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah john's definitely that kind of like timid person that will say the most uh, something that can be disrespectful but said in the most respectful way possible and I feel like that sums his character up and you definitely got that across from that but it was nice the fact that um Sam's like oh I know everything I've been doing this for years but the the one part of his life he didn't know was what was happening over these last however many months that this team's been together and it was quite the realization for him not just to see that John was more than he gave him credit for but how how much the people he once knew had grown like how much Mary had developed her own little team there and maybe it happened a little bit quickly but I really enjoyed seeing it from his perspective because we've seen so much of the show from Mary's perspective about what her father would say what what he would think and what he would do so actually get to see this from Sam's perspective and him to understand that hold on a minute my, my my daughter's turned into this great hunter all on her own and she has her own team which is something he never had I think that's what separates him can we fast forward a little bit a lot of it to the end <laughs> when Carlos is performing and they're watching him and that moment when they look John and Mary look at each other like in mm-hmm. the eyes I was like oh and I, I was like oh put your head on the shoulder like hold him do something and then it cut and it didn't do it. And I was like, oh, come on. And then it cut back to them and they did it. And I screamed at the television. <laughs> <laughs> They're so sweet. There's something so um, intimate about their their connection with each other. They just feel like a little bubble of them, even mm-hmm. when they're around other people. Because Lato was sitting there enjoying herself, um, as she should. But like those two were kind of like, I'm here with you. This is like our first date, but not a date. Like, and, and the song's really nice. And I think this episode did a really good job of giving us little John and Mary moments because John also has that great moment in the kitchen where he tells her the story about um, 
his fellow soldiers who would do things in the war zone that they shouldn't be doing, um, like hot wiring cars, uh, because they thought they wouldn't have to deal with the consequences. And that was his way of telling her that me kissing you was not me thinking we were going to die. It's me wanting to have a, um, a relationship with you. And I love that he gave her space to have time. Like we didn't get angry about it. We just accepted it. Um, mm -hmm. And then she just popped out at the end like, you know what? Don't need time. Let's be together. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really awkward kiss to me. Yeah, it, was. <laughs> it, it, it lasted longer than I thought it would from that weird angle, mm -hmm. but it was mm -hmm. so cute. And then it ended really abruptly with the reveal, which, okay, we're jumping ahead again, but the picture from, it was Sam's stuff, right? Yes. 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 He the, had those photos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I recognized the car. I was like, is that the car from Supernatural? And I was literally like, I couldn't tell who it was. I was like, zoom in. Come on. I need to, see. I couldn't tell who it was. <laughs> and I didn't find out until the morning after that it was Jensen. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. Little... What's going on, Michael? Please explain what implications this has. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, when you turn to me for my Arrowverse knowledge, and I'm like, yes, Ray, let me say this. I don't have that. Yeah, Michael's like, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I feel like this show has been doing the whole possible multiversal theory. And but you see, I think this was one of the first times we heard Jansen's voiceover at the start in a couple of episodes, I think. So yeah. I was like, oh, we're doing that again. Because CW shows usually drop the voiceover like three episodes in. And it's um, usually a good choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the fact that it came back and then I was like, okay, this has to be going somewhere. I did not, did not anticipate that ending. I don't know what it means. Has he come from the future? Has he come from the multiverse? Is It's confusing. Is his ghost trying to get his parents together? I I really don't know because they're looking kind of... at a photo of their adult son and they're like who's this guy it's like <laughs> <laughs> i'm down for it i think it's so fun um but it is a little confusing to me also the villain loki he's from the original series right yes yes i, I remember from twitter him. everyone was like freaking out and i was like i don't know anything about this <laughs> <laughs> tom hiddleston it is not <laughs> i was watching that and i was like wait i remember him and um, but i i could not tell you what he got up to but i assume when i assume supernatural dealt with how he came out of the mirror so it only made sense that in this episode they put him back in it so that in the future he could come back out of it but are we dealing with the same timeline now who knows anymore um it's just I don't know. Um, uh, this show gets more and more exciting as it goes on. I do think the last two episodes maybe could have handled their primary story better, but we're dealing more. We're dealing with more than just the Akrita at this point. Whatever is going on with Dean Winchester is arguably the most exciting part of the show. Yeah. Do we have time to wrap this up? I I can't see where wait to see where it goes. I know. I just. But see how we're talking about everything but the main part of the episode, which. <laughs> Which was the, um, I did like that we went into a deep dive of Carlos's previous mm -hmm. life as a musician and the reasons why he could no longer live that dream of his, but it just felt like this wasn't the episode to do it in. We came mm -hmm. hot off the tail of the Akrita um, situation in um, Sam, and then we went right on an adventure with Lada and Carlos at the what is it the nave of hearts and i was like wait we're gonna spend the episode here i don't care about loki we need to go back to the, uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, um and i thought you know it was all gonna connect in some fashion it didn't it was our monster of the week and i was like mm. so it was really it was for me it was like pulling teeth every time we went back to that plot i was like how much more time do i have Every time I went back to the actual plot that we've been working on for episodes, I got um, invested in the episode again. And I hated that because I wanted to be invested in Carlos's story. I just felt like this wasn't the time to do it. Yeah, yeah. 
and the A story is supposed to be what was happening with John and Mary and of course Samuel as well and that was very much the B story of this episode and then I, I did say okay we get to spend some time with John and Mary here and maybe get some more scenes and then they had that wonderful scene at the start where then she was like maybe I just need some time and then they didn't really go back to it after that I know the story moved on and whatever and then they did get there in the end but I thought we were going to get spent more time with them and Sometimes those are the kind of nice episodes you need because at the end of the day, when there's end life and death sticks every so often, you never really get a chance to sit with the characters. But it spent an awful lot of time just bringing Samuel back into the fold, which was exciting in and of itself. I just don't feel like this episode did what it said on the tin or it did what the promo suggested it would. Everything was there. I just don't think it all came across in the right way. Does that make sense? I almost kind of wish this had been the mid-season finale. Um, mm. Like, no shade to Tom Welling that reveal was really big, but I think the Dean reveal was bigger. It would have been a much more satisfying cliffhanger to end on for the holidays. Um, and I think the story might've hit a little harder, especially with the John and Mary developments mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Like you see them kiss and then discover their adult son, fade to black, we're celebrating Christmas and then we have to wait <laughs> till the new year. <laughs> and there would have been a lot of speculation in fandom, mm -hmm. potentially even in the media about what this could potentially mean um but now I mean now we have it and it's like okay we'll, we'll probably just find out on Tuesday <laughs> and, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah it was a solid episode it kind of just didn't work as a mid-season premiere I think because like you said Sabrina threw us right into a villain of the week and of course a big supernatural villain that's important but if you had not watched the show previously that might not mean as much to you as obviously the main story does mm -hmm. I barely remember as I knew that man because I had seen him before because someone because of the casting announcement, which I had forgotten about. But if I was someone who didn't know anything, I'd be like, okay, well, he's here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he came, he went, and he went. That was it. Yeah. But all in all, it was okay. Um, mm -hmm. it'd be exciting when we get to the vampires and what mm -hmm. that has to do with anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? But I'm excited. <laughs> yes. But what's been consistently exciting is Walker Independence. It's oh, this episode. Still not a bad episode yet. No. <laughs> and this one was Kai-centric, uh, which finally, because, you know, they had seeded the, what was going on with the Tong, and they brought back Lily, who we thought was dead, but she uh, was lying the entire time and nearly got him killed. The bait and switch. The gasps. I gasped in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love the fact that Kate kind of sewed that sewed that out into Kai's mind because she sees everything. It was it was quite an interesting scene because what we learned so much about Kai in general in this episode, but he's been so like gentle and so like tightly wound and so afraid of anything happening. And then as soon as he seen Lily, he just ran over to her and they had this like kind of like open conversation. And Kate was kind of just like, what is going on right now? Because she knew nothing. So it was just it was I feel like that was kind of like the spark that then just ignited this entire episode because we always said there's so much depth with all of these characters, but we've never really explored Kai until this point. And my goodness, what an exploration it was. Remind me, where did it end up with Kai and Kate? Because I know she like learned some truths about him and she was like, dude, you've been lying to me. Were mm -hmm. they like, are they beeping? fighting still? We're, yeah. we're fighting still. Kate, it hurts my heart. Kate's mad at him, right? Yes. Yes. Be because like, she's... Girl, you're being the secret agent. I don't know what you're getting mad at him for. Which he told I, her. I was going to say, <laughs> can we bring that up? I mean, like, Kai knew all along. <laughs> so I, I think to 
support Kate just a bit, it is because his accent drops. Yeah. Um, and she learns like that he he also is like able to protect himself in a way that she wasn't aware of. Um, there's the guy she knows is a curated version of who he actually is. And that hurt her. And I was like, well, Kai's right though. You have a curated version of yourself that he, that he knows. I think she puts a little bit more of herself into the person that she plays around everybody else. Um, and Kai was holding a lot of cards uh, that she were, wasn't even aware of. But I think as much as I hurt my heart, this was good for their relationship development because now yeah. we're just, um, we're out in the open about different things. And same mm. with Abby. They're all kind of like, they're like, we need a breather from you. Girl. <laughs> oh, no. Which kind of hurt me, too. Yeah. They like all ditched her. They're like, no, had enough. We're not doing a new suspect. You're on your own for now. We're No, we need a break. <laughs> I know. I thought that was a bit mean because at the end of the day, she did lose her, lose her husband after all. And like all the evidence, like no police officer in the world would have said, hold on a minute, you're wrong. All the evidence pointed to Tom because all the evidence was supposed to point to Tom. A lot of it still is. Of course, Shane is now becoming a bit more of a maybe darker character than Tom. We've always said how Tom kind of walks that line between good and evil when he is being the sheriff. There's obviously more to him than that. But Shane seems to be a bit more of a problematic character. And is Tom going to have to deal with him now? But I mean, like, all the evidence was there. Abby didn't do anything wrong. So it was a bit mean that they all turned their back on her. I know that the episode dictated that so she could go off and find the one person who would believe in her and Kalia. But give Abby a chance. That wasn't really fair. I'm just no. gonna say, <laughs> but they kept trotting Kate out there to talk to her. Like the men were like, well, "You speak there. You tell her why we why we're not going to do." <laughs> okay, well, I'll just go talk to my friend. Um, but it is Tom is such an interesting character because he does actually think uh, about the consequences of his actions. Usually, mm-hmm. um, uh, he but he does have instances in which emotion pushes him over the edge. And I feel like he did both this episode. Like he was smarter than Shane. He really just wanted to make a quick deal as if that wasn't gonna come back to bite them. Um, Cause it, uh, Tom was right. The Tong would be getting far more from the town of independence than the town would be getting. And why would he allow that? Um, but also Tom was like, hmm, you crossed me. So we're gonna hang you from the rafters and we're gonna get some answers to my questions. As if he's supposed to be your brother. Yeah, no, that was shocking. I forgot about that until you just said that. That's <laughs> the second man he's hung from the, that barn. Yeah. I think we need to go check on that barn more often. Right? It's really interesting what they're doing with Tom because, like, he uh, clearly there's some darkness there, whether he killed um, Liam or not. But at the, most of the episodes, he surprises you. Like, that time he they had really Callie want us back. To like him. Yeah, they really, it's, really do. It's working. It's working. It is, it is. And I mean, like, I feel like that. I said this might be a red herring machine and it still might be, but Abby definitely let her cards show a little when she rushed into him. It was like, I think Shane killed Liam because that's kind of a bit of thing that came out of nowhere. But Tom took it politely. He was like, we'll go solve this problem. I think I know where he's heading, unbeknownst to Abby. She had, he had him hanging in his barn the whole time. So I don't know where it's going to go from here. But when I first saw the Shane reveal, I was like, oh, is this just a late last minute red herring? But they've done such a good job that I'd actually believe it if it wasn't now. And I, yeah, not many episodes left, but uh, a, lot, it's just a lot of mystery. And it feels like we've gotten to a point in the season where we can have actual like theories about what happened because mm-hmm. we have so much information now or is everything else is um, just kind of those building blocks to get to this place. But now we have like so much information where we can actually like theorize what we think happened. 
And in my mind, I think both of the Davidson brothers did something. I don't know what they mm -hmm. did, but I think somebody pulled that trigger and then somebody, I did Shane try to kill Tom? That was a theory that rattled around my brain. Oh, like, was maybe Shane did both him? of it. Ooh. Yeah, maybe he, maybe does Shane want to be sheriff and he killed Liam and then he tried to kill his brother? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just, I love that we have theories now that we can yeah. like. <laughs> because Shane has like a, um, a short fuse and he's mm -hmm. impulsive. Uh, and he also no thoughts he, in that brain <laughs> no he, he really just wants to, what tom has without mm -hmm. thinking about the um methods in which tom has used to get what he has i'm just like was the plan to always kill liam but shane got there first and so like tom's hands aren't like he doesn't have blood on his hands but he was going to kill liam so does that really make it any better just because he didn't pull the trigger if he if he intended to like if there's a lot happening with that with the davidsons and how sneaky and corrupt they are uh and i i really enjoy that i also enjoyed that shane was like the absolute worst uh at like basically everything like we are introduced to him at the brothel and he has no money which is a great <laughs> which is like a great a great character um description for him because it also shows you the type of person he is that he uses mm -hmm. people and he yeah. thinks he's entitled to whatever he wants to have yeah and it's an interesting dynamic because it's very much portrays tom as the lesser of two evils and he is because it, even if Tom is the evil, the evil uh, villain that he's been made out to be, there is elements of a conscience there which makes him more logical and he plays the long game where Shane's more of that unpredictable character that rushes in and messes things up and creates chaos along the way. Tom doesn't want that in his time because if he is the one who did this and he's he's been meticulously planning this and he doesn't want something as unpredictable as Shane ruining that. So I feel like there are so many like interesting dynamics and potentials for what could go and like Reed said, theories that we have and only like four episodes left. Um, yeah, I, every episode of Walker Independence, I feel like the story gets more and more exciting. Yes, instead of the relationships. Mm -hmm. um, just to briefly go back to Kellyan and Abby, yeah. I was so excited. I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> like if, there's, if there's one person who's going to be like, I understand it's going to be him. And they had the lovely moment in um, at uh, the the, at the tribe where he was talking about his situation and she was talking about hers because he's going to be the leader um, mm. of the Apache in that area, which is very interesting. I will say I had to watch the scene twice because I got distracted by Kelly and Abby. They were standing so close <laughs> and I love them so much. Um, but it is interesting seeing like how much he's still trying to be there for everybody, even when there is, he is grieving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's going through a lot and Abby's kind of like, ah, sorry, now you're going through a bunch of stuff, but I really need to vent. <laughs> <laughs> Like she felt kind of bad about it, but also like I have no one right now. <laughs> and he's like, "It's okay, I will be there for you." Oh, and she learned Apache. She's starting to learn some of the language. Yeah, yeah, Queen. Yeah, I, yes. oh, and when he called her Jean Desi again, goosebumps. Um, that that scene. I have to say, Callian has very few scenes in the last few episodes, but each one of them are so important to whatever's happening. And I feel I love the fact that now the fact that they say that he walks between two worlds could be what well, could be the thing that connects uh, his family with of course uh independence and then the fact that he, he reconnected with Gus at the end because that's that's probably been one of the, the most pivotal relationship in his life and yeah at that at the scene with abby was just goosebumps definitely my favorite scene in the whole episode um yeah i hope we see more of callion going forward because this these one to two scenes per episode ain't doing it for me yeah no. I'm so invested in every story, but the story that I always keep in the back of my mind that has like no real real relevance is like 
who Abby's going to end up with because yeah. like <laughs> I wanted like it's like this version of like how I met your great 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 grandfather for Walker <laughs> like I just want like I don't watch Walker but I want to know like how she starts her family how she starts this dynasty of cowboys I don't know what they do on Walker um Texas Ranger not a cowboy <laughs> well I think they're are they ranchers and um law enforcement which means like I don't want to say it would be Tom because like in the Walker verse, the David Sims and the Walkers have a, um, have a rivalry, but it'd be, it'd be funny if like they have a rivalry, but they don't know that their, their lines actually connect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like Jared's character's name is Cordell. So how does she end up like, how does the horse's name end up in her family line? I want to know. <laughs> and then like, and his best friend's name is Hoyt. He's dead, but like his name was Hoyt yeah. as well. So it's like, they're the same things that, like just was not talked about. I'm rooting for Kelly because I do. I need love somebody that. to make an edit of Walker Independence of the How I Met Your Mother opening credits, but it's How I Met Your Great 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 Grandfather, and it's just clips of all of Abby and the all of her friends. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to do that for me. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. Hopefully, it happens. We're pr- manifesting, putting it out yeah. in the yeah. universe. Yeah, somebody. I I want to find that on YouTube or Twitter by the end of the month. Just <laughs> Um, so for Walker Independence, one last point. Um, I did like the action sequence with Kai and yeah. how it was filmed. Uh, they it the direction actually changed its style for that scene. Uh, it was very it was like westerny, and I think kind of um how martial arts movies are somewhat filmed. There's a lot of like um emphasis on shadows and where they were both standing and uh and making sure you see the movement uh mm-hmm. with the camera and I was just like this feels like high noon but it's fists instead of guns <laughs> <laughs> and it, we're so used to seeing scenes with like fight choreography on the CW uh, that's kind of what it was going for at the start and then it didn't like you said it was just shot so beautifully and the fact that I think the thing that made it probably the most like impactful was how quick it was there was very little fight choreography involved Kai did the job very very quickly and for someone like Kai that was a shock and I think that's why the close-up on Kate's face afterwards just said said it all because what a moment like Kai is not the person she thought he was at least uh, uh, that's what's going through her head and that scene did so much to like highlight those concerns and that the blood on the the sheets is just amazing great shots I, I I'm rooting for both Kate and Charlie and Kate and Kai. I haven't picked yet. <laughs> I like, really like them. I know. Both. I I want to see both stories happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best show, just the best I show. It. I love it. I know. And to talk about another um, mm-hmm. great show, one of the best ones that CW has ever done, Nancy Drew, which we got a comedic episode. Oh, I love this episode. <laughs> Season two, episode ten. I was watching. I was like, "What the hell are we up to?" <laughs> Any Buffy fans out there, it kind of reminded me of, I want to say, I think it's Band Candy is the name of the episode. It's oh, like yeah. season three. It's like the most, it's so weird. Like everybody gets high on candy that the band sells. And I think Beer Bad is another one that's kind of like mm-hmm. crazy and outlandish. It reminded me of those episodes. And I have to say, I enjoyed seeing a different side of Kennedy. Yeah. As yeah. Nancy. Like that was so fun. Girl was just for lack of a better word, horny. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to a ghost. And Kennedy just, oh my God. I need my own podcast where I just talk about Kennedy Kennedy McMahon for an hour and a half because she was just so 
hilarious totally game oh my god um, stop me from rambling about kennedy <laughs> the range though yes mm-hmm. she was it felt it was comedic but it felt like it felt very serious like yeah. this is an actual problem complete with 80s music like yeah, oh, yeah. the mention <laughs> it was like a fabio sequence but i did oh. love the message of the episode like yes. it wasn't just like uh, uh, some random one-off like nancy was really rattled by this reporter who was like look at you being all modest on the internet and nancy was like but i can be all the things that i want to be and don't make me feel shame Mm -hmm. if i did want to post a bikini pic or if i wanted to date if i have feelings for four different men like these things should be okay and no one should be congratulating me for not participating in living my life the way i please i was like yes do this story with a with some laughs. I loved it. I thought it was yeah. a great message. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree because from the public perception of Nancy Drew, both the character in the show and in general, you do get something of a modest kind of reputation, and that's not and that's not a bad thing. But I do love the fact that it delved into Nancy as a person. It was like, well, okay, but even if that's what I am, I shouldn't be judged if I wasn't that. If you know what I mean, and the fact that we used such a hilarious episode. You can't not forgot about it, but you moved on from it and had ha- dealt with the, the moments in the episode. And then they came back to it at the end. And I was like, wow, what a lesson. Love mm-hmm. that for you. It was it was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. And the best kind of episodes are ones that can make fillers feel far more important than the main story. And that succeeded for me. I didn't expect that was the direction the journalist was going to go in. Yeah. I thought she was congratulating her on her front-facing social media being curated um, to like to show an image that she knows would, would be respected. Um, not that she, when she went like, and you're not even bikinis. I was like, oh girl, no, I thought you were telling her good, good job for not putting any um, mm-hmm. <laughs> any scandals pictures on your on your, your Instagram. Not, oh no, it's buttoned up and tidy. It's exactly what we need. Um, I will say though, Nancy isn't exactly repressed like at all. I think this show has always mm-hmm. been very about her being able to express her physicality um, and be intimate when she wants to be intimate. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting seeing a plot um, where she's suddenly feeling repressed, even though she isn't. Like, um, I think they'll have four different guys and it all to be different for the um, for her lust to, to grow throughout the episode and then it be very much, um, the way that she talks about them is different. Like what she wants from each of them is, is different. Like Nick is, residual feelings aces she's repressed those feelings mm-hmm. um gil's the new guy and she'd rather not like detective tomorrow but you know we're here why was yeah. i kind of into that right no. right <laughs> <laughs> i was like detective tomorrow i didn't know this about you <laughs> you've been so mean that i haven't even noticed that you're kind of attractive <laughs> but they had a lot of really good chemistry they like, did. even, though, even mm-hmm. though it was sudden i even liked um nancy and gil that was fun and I loved the scene in it was the diner when she has her um her slow-mo feelings for Nick and Ace where she like goes in a spiral and she's like are these all feelings that I've repressed and because Ace is the last one she had feelings for I was kind of like oh is she talking about Ace but it can be for any of them Mm because like they're all people that men that she interacts with and we don't know what no one knows what Nancy feels besides Nancy. Even then, it's a question mark for her. She doesn't know what she feels. So, like, I don't think she knows what she feels for any of these four men. And I think that's a really good, um, probably a good metaphor for her, like, confusion in life. Is like, she doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. know how she feels. 
and but she should be um open to explore that if she wants to and she did mm-hmm. oh yeah but not with the guy that i was expecting yeah yeah um i feel like the whole the, the everything about this episode was so clever but a lot of it was on the nose intentionally like we you, you can't do an s watch or an s watch and say oh didn't notice anything from that episode but aside from all the really obvious stuff the most subtle part for me was when she did have that line that you said read about or was it feelings that i repressed because when she said that she literally looked back at s who was behind her it was the only time she caught to look back and we've said about how the show is very good with subtleties and everything and i think that yeah was they didn't really, make that really a thing like yeah i was i was like are they gonna have like everybody look at ace and make this a moment but it, it like it was just nancy talking through her her possessed moment from the lust dress <laughs> and she got to touch his hair which apparently yeah. is something that she's wanted to do but has did to that remind you boundaries. of dynasty michael when did when, that oh oh can i touch your hair yeah when fallon was obsessed with i think it was crystal number two yeah it she was, was obsessed yes. with crystal number two yeah. she'd always make comments like, can i touch your hair <laughs> <laughs> and now Nancy has had her own moment to the point where we had to put her in the freezer. Though she has to be put in the freezer yeah. to be able to cool down. Yeah. I love the fact that she was being so sensible about the whole thing. And yeah, we we have to follow protocol, put me in the freezer. And then it goes all quiet. Nick shows up on the outside and she's like, Nick, can you come in here? <laughs> can I see that you? moment? I was like, Kennedy needs to do voice acting. Was <laughs> she wasn't on screen and it was an amazing performance. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I think also um, speaking of like unexpected uh, performances, I they were selling Odette in Bess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see right. it yeah. as like not the that's George's body, so that's a no. As as Ace very was like no, that's it's not okay. And Bess yeah. knows that, but like they did a good job of of um, talking through how Bess was feeling when she knows she shouldn't be feeling that way because that's her friend's mm-hmm. body, even if the person inhabiting it right now is not her friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for when we said last week that we wanted not rid of Odette, but the Odette storyline to, the, to come to a head, certainly didn't expect it was going to go in that direction. I, I know when she said she wanted to spend time with Bess, that maybe it would start going in that direction from her end. But wow, they really made you feel it when Bess started feeling it. The scene, the scenes they had together were adorable. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I still want Odette to go immediately. Obviously, there has to be some kind of resolution, but I'm just I'm eager to see where they go with the storyline. I still want her to leave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> out. But it, it was really unexpectedly cute. I think I like that they gave Beth something fun and light to do after the past couple episodes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did not expect when I started the episode that <laughs> best would be kind of in love with Odette. <laughs> yeah. And see, um, the only one who seems to like Nancy called a smart, she's like, I don't care what anybody says, but he is he, like, because he's the only one who already clocked. It was a date. Like, yeah. was like it's not best was like, it's not until um, Odette popped out in her date outfit. And she's like, Oh, it, it's a date. Okay. Well, we're going, <laughs> we're going to the ice cream. Speaking of Ace, can we talk about this brother thing? Yeah, yes. I was terrified when he showed up in that cannery, which was like an abandoned building. I don't know what a cannery. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I thought. I thought a cannery was, but it wasn't <laughs> that. And I was like, Ace, why did you go alone? <laughs> and I didn't understand what the box was and the picture of it was. So was it? It, it was a picture of their dad. Was it to prove that he mm-hmm. is his brother? It was just kind of like it, it was. That was very network. I like uh, we're running out of time here. Let's just do a tease for the next episode. But um, they agreed they were going to meet up, and then he just left the box instead. Um, 
and it was the picture of the father. Yeah, and so I guess, I guess this kind of proves the theory that they are brothers. But the fact they kind of explained that in the episode already then kind of made that, okay, this is not that much of a tease. But I mean, I'm yeah. definitely intrigued to see where it goes in the next one. I want to see had, the brother. Yeah. I do too. Especially because we had that conversation in the parking lot where like um, Ace took uh, best step by step through the story, which again yeah. was really like, let's do some exposition. It wasn't yeah. really, <laughs> it didn't quite land the way that I'm sure they wanted it to, but we got there. So I was just like, okay, no more explanations of why he hacked into a government um, database to find his brother. Let's just see the brother <laughs> or like yeah. see if it's someone yeah. masquerading as the brother and the brother actually still doesn't know who he is. Do we know who the brother is? That's another question I have. Because they got, whoever he is, he got to Horseshoe Bay pretty quickly. Mm. Mm. I don't know where he was first, but I don't remember. Did he say? I don't remember. I um, I know that our uh, our listeners have said that we need to like actually pay attention to the text messages that come through the phone because there's information yeah. in there. Um, but I'm sorry, y'all. I, I don't always pay attention to the text <laughs> messages. So if the brother said where he was from, I don't. I just know that Ace did say what he was from. I don't think I tried to read the text messages and I don't think anything big was in them, but he does have the man saved in his phone as long lost brother question mark, (laughs) (laughs) which is such an ace thing to do. (laughs) I think uh, what else about this episode of Nancy other than it being excellent, I think, oh, the, um, the reveal that the journalist Mm. does know um, that Nancy is Ryan's ryan's daughter and that she'd been working for the mom the entire time Mm -hmm. wow stressed me out yeah we kind of saw it coming especially when she left the glass at the start but i kind of didn't expect that twist at the end because the journalist's been so down to earth and nice to ryan and now you're like was it all a ploy to get more information and uh I can't remember this woman's name. Mrs. Hudson is what I'm going to call her. Just the look on her face when she said, Nancy Drew is your granddaughter. I was like, okay, this is going to get interesting. I know we knew, we knew it was coming, but where it goes from here, I do not know. She didn't look super shocked. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a, she knew, that, I feel like she kind of knew something was coming, but maybe she didn't know it was that. Maybe I'm wrong, but you know, she's not gotten on, gotten on with Nancy in the past. So I can't wait to see what their kind of dynamic works out to be. Well, because she's a... Uh, um a murderess by adjacent killings is she not like she's never <laughs> irresponsible but she's like always knows when it's happening mm-hmm. is completely fine with it they also brought up nancy's ancestor temperance hudson mm-hmm. had we heard about this person before and did it have only a connection to this particular episode or is this there's this ancestor going to be a thing I feel like the ancestor is going to be a thing because i believe it's tied to the women in white and yeah. we know that that is going to be a thing for this season, um, simply because we watched episode 12, like, months ago. <laughs> and, that, and that was... I don't remember anything that happened in that episode. I'm <laughs> watching that one again. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I think, I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, she's a part of the women in white, which is why Nancy was, like, I can't believe that um, my ancestor was a part of something so repressive. Yeah, it was very layered, the conversation about the women in white, because they brought it up. And again, exposition. Oh, these ones who helped with the Aglecker or whatever, very expositional. But George was very much like, they're badasses. And then Nancy later on found out that, you know, actually they were involved in the whole like repression part of it. So it was this episode for being such a hilarious one, had so many layered conversations in and it was nice to say. And I feel like, yeah, you're right. The women in white will have more of a role going forward. Mm-hmm. So I guess we will learn more about Miss Temperance. But I guess considering the meaning of her name, um, 
Nancy should have known that repression was going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it literally means moderation, doesn't it? Mean um, Layers to the story. <laughs> uh, but I think that's it for, for Nancy. Another great episode in the mm-hmm. books. We're trying to see where this season builds up to. Is this another 18 episode season? I believe yeah. so, yeah. So we have 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. <laughs> cool, cool. And then we'll be, oh my goodness, then we'll be on season three. Ah, uh, we're moving through it right, like. Look at us. I know, look <laughs> at us. All right, well, that is it for this episode of The CW Spiral. Um, I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye.